everyone, and welcome to a new episode of the Women in Economics Initiative podcast, in which we cover the latest research in gender economics and inspiring career paths of female and non-binary economists. I'm Jelena, the events coordinator of the Women in Economics Initiative, and your host this season. Today, I'm joined by our content coordinator, Ella, who will help me host this podcast today, and our research coordinator, Sandra, who will be our guest today. In this episode, we will look into the results of the WE Index for 2021 and discuss potential methods to improve parity in the economics profession. Welcome, Ella and Sandra. I'm happy to have you today. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm very excited. <laughs> awesome. So before we dive into the results, uh, let's warm up a bit, Sandra. And could you please introduce yourself to our audience? Yeah. Hello, everyone. I'm glad to be here on this podcast episode. I'm since uh, end of last year, the coordinator of our research team at WE. I'm currently in the last year of my PhD in energy economics at the FAU in Nuremberg. And my main research interests are environmental economics and getting the public to join the energy transition. And I'm very happy to now lead the research team. Awesome. That, that sounds wonderful. I really had an honor to, to work with Sandra for more than a year. She was previously a member of the events team, and I'm very much looking forward to see all the improvements she brings to, to the research team. But yeah, I have mentioned uh, WE Index, um, So, but I, I think that some of our audience may not be familiar with what it means, what do we think about when we say that. So could you give us a brief explanation what WE Index is, how it all started? Sure. So with the WE Index, we monitor the share of female economists in senior positions in the academic, private and public sector across Europe, the OECD and globally. The first index was already published in 2019. And since then, every year we collect data, such as the share of female chief economists in the world's largest corporations, women in top economics faculties, or women as central bank governors, for example. We then aggregate these numbers into an index and then publish a report of our findings. This way, we can assess women's representation as leaders in the field of economics over time. That sounds really great. Would you mind sharing more about what the findings from this year were for the 2021 index? Yeah, sure. So um, this year we have scores of 31, 34 and 38 in the academic, private and public sectors, which basically means that we are or women are still underrepresented in all three sectors. So we would wish to have a score of 100, which would mean complete parity. So with scores around 30, we can see that we're still quite far from having gender equality in these sectors. And even the highest representation, which we find in the public sector with the value of 38, means that only 19% of leading positions are filled with women. And sadly, there were also basically no changes compared to the previous years. If you want to know more about the results, you can find our index on our website, women-in-economics.com, or you can also go to our YouTube channel and watch the recording of the publication event where we talked in detail about the methodology behind the index and about the results themselves. 
That's really great. Thank you, Sandra. Because I know it's not within the scope of the index to make suggestions about how to fix this parity. But as you're saying, I mean, within the academic sector, we have roughly only 20% of women in these positions. And so I think today on this podcast, we'd love to have a discussion about what are the suggestions and potential methods for improving this gender parity. And as I said, it's not necessarily within the scope of the index, but something that's definitely worth having a discussion about and deserves some attention. So I know the three of us kind of have some general knowledge and ideas about different solutions. Um, So we'll look at role models, paternity leave, and quotas. Sandra, would you be up for starting us off with a discussion about how role models might be able to improve parity? Yeah, sure, gladly. So I guess everyone can relate to the fact that uh, having role models can be super inspiring. And I think we cannot underestimate the importance of especially female role models for young girls and young econ students to be motivated and get more women into economics because there's nothing more inspiring and more reassuring that you can actually make it, I think, in my opinion, in any domain than someone who has already successfully done it. And also for me, having female role models in economics is also a sign that when you do make it to the top somewhere, there's already other women there, which to me personally would be a lot more appealing to continue climbing the ladder somewhere, knowing that also on the upper levels, I will continue to work with other women. Knowing that if you get up there, you won't be alone. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But I guess historically, there aren't that many female role models in many male-dominated fields, also economics. So you'll hardly find a female economist in an introductory textbook, for example, in economics. At least um, I don't remember one. So it's difficult for young women in economics to find female role models, let alone come into contact with them, who can then inspire them to continue down this path and This might be also one of the reasons why girls might not even dare to major in economics in the first place. But there's, for example, interesting research by Daniela Serra. She shows that when young economic students are exposed to successful women in economics from the same university, this significantly increases the number of women who major in economics instead of uh, lower, potentially lower earning fields like humanities which is, by the way, a pretty low-cost intervention that can also have a positive effect on the future income of women and then might also be a very easy solution to help close the gender pay gap or at least make it a bit smaller. There's also a super interesting suggestion from the World Economic Forum to improve employment parity, which is kind of related to having role models. It's that women should mentor men. Because we all know that uh, women get mentored by senior men, but this is like switches the roles. It's the idea that women are not only role models for other women, but potentially also for men, which I think is a really great idea because it helps to reassess and also maybe update gender norms. I, I agree with that and the idea of how having a woman as a mentor to a young man in the field might really help fix those gender norms. When you first said that women should mentor men, I, I kind of took me aback for a second. I was like, does that actually make sense? Because I know there's always also the concern that there aren't enough women to mentor young women in the field. Mm-hmm. So then, but to have them mentoring men would, I think, genuinely really help with fixing some of those unconscious biases of seeing kind of those top leadership successful positions as men. And so 
maybe by helping get young men into it, they have a better understanding of where to go. I really love those suggestions, but I would also like to to share two successful stories of uh, mentoring schemes, if I may say so. So first one would absolutely be We Mentoring Scheme that our organization launched a couple of months ago. Uh, I'm part of that mentoring scheme as, as a mentee, and I have a brilliant female mentor who inspires me to work even harder, who uh, helps me navigate through the first year of my PhD study and I'm very grateful for the opportunity to, to be able to connect with someone who went through the same path to ask about any doubts, uh, any problems I face, because to be very honest, in my immediate surrounding, most of my colleagues are male, even some more senior, senior people are usually male. And having the opportunity to connect with someone who is miles away from from me and still learn a lot from her, have her support. She inspired me to to go to different talks, to give some presentations, even at this early stage of my PhD. And I I think that I would have never done that uh, without her giving me inspiration and motivation to do so. Another uh, very interesting example I wanted to mention is again a partnership organization of we discover economics from the uk who actually have brilliant program and they try to present economic professions and women who are in economics to high school students because in in some countries you uh, might choose a subject um, that you want to graduate in before even enrolling into university so i think this is really wonderful initiative that i wish more countries would look up to and implement in their own countries because that's the right time where where you actually want to inform people and that's the right age to do so. Of course, it's not late to, to do that even undergraduate uh, studies, but I think this is one step ahead and I really like that initiative and I felt like sharing because it might be interesting to some of our audience to, to see their work and what they're doing to, again, support them as well. Totally agree. It can never be early enough to expose girls to any potential field that they could work in. I also think that with mentoring, with um, role models, especially mentoring, though, really allows people to learn more about each other and to also learn, especially in this uh, women-men mentoring scheme that I mentioned before, you know, it allows men to learn more about different working styles, different leadership styles that maybe are coined as more female or like more soft in a way but you know to expose them to these different leadership styles and then maybe show them that they are working in leadership styles that are appropriate or working for for all genders maybe also fosters more empathy and understanding between genders and more cooperation i think you said that perfectly sandra it's about the empathy and a better understanding between genders i think that definitely would be a really strong outcome of a woman-man mentoring pair. Yeah. And also, I think the research that came up with this idea for the mentoring scheme, the author herself makes a really interesting point because she says that gender bias cannot be solved solely through increased awareness, but it actually takes action. Because she says that there is great awareness for gender disparity, for the gender pay gap, for the glass ceiling, for sexual harassment, etc. You name it. 
there are some numbers and statistics coming out every year. I mean, we are publishing our We Index every year. So mm -hmm. there, there is an awareness for these issues. But despite this awareness, we don't really see big changes, which is also something we see every year in our We Index report. So since the first index, the values that we have have barely changed. So there is definitely a need for something to be done. And I think mentoring schemes like that or having more... Of course, having role models is something that is organically growing. You can't just say, okay, let's create more role models. But mentoring schemes like this, really having programs that do something, I think is something that is super necessary. I think that's a great point because I do think having a role model or getting a chance to be within a mentoring mentee pair is a little action that each of us can do. And it's something that we can do on an individual level. And obviously, big giant mentoring schemes like we have with we are really great to help encourage those pairs. But if you are someone who's in a field, you can go and you can try and reach out to anyone at any level, whether you, I think, are a bachelor student reaching out to someone who's a year or two below you, or you are a early career professional reaching out to someone who's a high school student. I mean, I think that's one thing, Yelena, you were kind of referencing earlier is you can be a role model at any age. And I think you can also step in as a mentee at any age. I think there's no boundary or limit on at what point role models aren't useful. Absolutely. I also absolutely agree with you. And I just think that we should open ourselves to this opportunity and just realize that, yes, we are good enough to be mentors, even though we might subjectively feel, oh, I'm too young. I still don't know enough. You're on your career path, you're couple of steps in front of someone else and your knowledge, your experience can definitely benefit to someone who is younger than you. Jump in and go straight to the action. Create small mini mentoring program at the place you are working at your university. Because for example, that's, that's my plan for the summer semester. I will be tutor for the first time. And I know that I will have mixed group of female and male students. I do want to set up some kind of mentoring hours for anyone who would be interested. And I'm looking forward to see whether some male students will, will show up there as well. It's so great that you're saying this because I think many people out there, especially women, almost all the time feel that they are maybe not ready, that they have to be prepared that they still are not qualified enough to do something. And it's, I think it's this inherent lack of confidence that, okay, I'm ready for this. I can do this. And it's also great that you mentioned our mentoring program again, because I also joined the program as a mentor. And I was before like super intimidated by the prospect of mentoring someone because I felt like, well, I'm just a PhD student, you know, what can I actually do? But I'm now mentoring a, a master's student who's currently writing up her master thesis and I can see that even what I think is very basic advice is helping her. And that's very rewarding. So I think, as you said, it's never too, too early. Because even if you're just one step ahead, you're one step ahead. You can help somebody else take this step too. And also, I think it's great what you mentioned with tutoring your students. Because I think it's mentoring and being a role model is very different when you're not a teacher. I think even if there are female teachers, so when I'm teaching at university, for example, I think it still is not the same as being a mentor or as being a role model apart from your role as a teacher. There are still different aspects to it. When you're teaching, you're still in the role of the teacher. It's, I think it's not as inspiring as via mentoring, for example. I think we can all agree role models are 
a great way to encourage gender parity in the field. And I think we also agree role modeling can happen at any age and between any gender and no matter what, there will be a benefit. We agree on role models, it sounds like. We think that that is a great, great argument for gender parity. But next, we also wanted to talk about paternity leave. So, Yelena, what did you find about that? What did you think was most interesting? Uh, to be very honest, I came across uh, paternity leaves uh, during the offset of the pandemic when I was creating some reports on negative impact or unequal impact of the pandemic on male and uh, female. And then I, of course, looked at what are the, some of the pot- potential policies that could help out solve some of the problems that have arise during the pandemic. Then for the first time, I discovered something called mandatory paternal leave, which I will explain in a second. But before that, I wanted to just uh, give you a result from one paper to set us uh, into the direction of of thinking. So it was a paper by Cleven et al. from 2019, where they look at six countries, Denmark, Sweden, Germany, Austria, the US, and the UK, and they find that earnings of men and women evolve very similarly before parenthood, but after the parenthood, they diverge sharply. So they find that even 10 years after childbirth, women have not recovered and that convergence between their wages has stopped. So during our conversations, we have discovered that we are aware of the pay gaps that exist. And one of the factors that might contribute to the pay gaps could be parenthood. So what governments are now doing, they're creating policies where when you want to go on parental leave, you, you can, of course, take parental leave both as a father and as a mother, but from our experience, we know that most of the parental leave is usually taken by mothers. What they do now is they create some kind of required parental leave for fathers in duration of, for example, two weeks that cannot be transferred to mothers. So if you want to use two weeks of that specific parental leave, it has to be taken by fathers. And it has to be taken within the first three months after the child was born. And the results do show that once fathers do take those two required weeks of paternal leave, they see that it is actually very wonderful feeling to be able to be at home, to see your child grow. And afterwards, they even decide to take additional weeks of parental leave, which on the other side means that women are free to go back to the labor force even earlier, which definitely benefits their careers and their pays later on and uh, helps them really go back to business very quickly, Uh, don't feel that they were away from work for a whole year or a couple of months, that they don't know how to navigate uh, in the business world anymore. And uh, there is strong evidence from the literature saying that every additional week or even month taken by father is enormously positive and has enormously positive effect on female, their career path, and later earnings throughout their careers. I really loved this measure, and I am very excited to hear how do you see it as well. Yeah, I think paternity leaves are a really strong method for working at the gender parity, because I think for sure we have these norms and perceptions that it's only women who kind of go on parental leaves. And 
I just vividly remember um, one of the first times I sat in on a panel discussion kind of about working in academia, working in the private sector, and and handling the work-life balance. I just remember the women in there calling it the child penalty and using the word penalty. And I was like, I never would have thought that having a child would be seen as a penalty, but it very much is because you have these women who go and they lose time in work, whereas the men don't. And the men just keep climbing up the ladder and the women have to kind of stop and pause for a year or two years or however it might be. And I think that if you have paternity leaves, it'll help kind of balance those expectations and those norms that we see that it is normal for people to take a year off sometime in their middle of their career to start a family and to put the time into that. So yeah, I see paternity leaves as a great measure. Especially when it's uh, kind of mandatory, because I think many men would maybe not do it because they don't dare because what would the colleagues say or what would the boss say? Maybe he doesn't want this or maybe they are the major earner in the family who brings home the income in a way. And then what if I stay away from work for one or two months? How would this affect our earnings? And then if it's mandatory, it also takes off some pressure, I think, of the men. Because despite our viewpoints and norms changing, I think still we can't underestimate that it's also hard for men to, you know, step out of their comfort zone sometimes, especially when the majority of men is maybe not as ready as individual men might be. Exactly. I think this is really wonderful incentive for men to really don't feel bad about taking paternal leave. And they do have coverage uh, if someone from their company, their boss asks or whoever. And they actually show this uh, in the literature that previously, It was never the case that only mothers had to take uh, parental leave. In the laws, it was always, it can be either of, of the parents who can take the leave, but only once they made this uh, required uh, weeks for fathers, they have seen really some significant increase in number of fathers taking paternal leave, even if it were just those two weeks that were mandatory. But of course, we, we, we can always expect some positive spillover effects that they like it and they want to extend it. Uh, so I think this is a good way to go. And I'm looking forward to reading new results in the upcoming years. Yeah, I think also, Sandra, the point you made about this needing to be mandatory was really strong. Um, and I also think this is an initiative that companies and institutions and even governments can take to kind of work at the gender parity. I mean, we were talking role models is something we can do at an individual level. I think obviously any individual father can take a paternity leave, but mandatory paternity leaves to kind of help fix that perception and those gender norms are a strong initiative at that institutional level. Yeah, because I remember right after I finished school, I did an internship in a bigger company And there was one colleague in another division who made like a small celebration when his child was born because he planned to go on a paternity leave for two months. And I remember that some of the colleagues there, the male colleagues especially, were still like, oh, look, now he's going on holiday for two months. And I remember then that it was the super novel concept. And even I myself had this feeling like, oh, wow, isn't this like a women's thing to do? This is obviously more than 10 years ago now, but... We've come far in these 10 years, but today it might be the norm for men to take. I think in Germany, it's two months that the fathers can take, but then the majority also only take these two months, which of course is better than nothing. But I think we need a more societal change, I guess. In agreement of that. And I think we all kind of see the same ideas 
with paternity leaves as we did with role models. But continuing on, if we wanted to move into quotas now, so quotas are, have been somewhat of, a, I would say, a controversial method for kind of fixing gender parity, especially relative to like role models, which everyone kind of just agrees is a really strong option. Quotas have always been in the news of being like, do we really need quotas? Is it really great? And I think both on the side of institutions, but even I've heard hesitancy from women about quotas. And so while quotas have worked in, I think, both academic settings, public settings, and private settings, I'm going to strictly talk about the private setting just because those are the statistics that I know. But within the EU, in 2012, the European Commission passed a law requiring that all publicly traded companies needed to have their boards comprised of 40% women. And since that has happened, there actually has been an increase. I mean, people have been following the law. So there clearly has been the pro that like, yes, this quota is working. But I think a lot of the concern and the controversy comes from this kind of after effects and aftermath of this. So that has also included like, there have been situations where a number of publicly traded companies have actually turned private in order to avoid this law. So I think it was a Nordic journal actually recognize this in Norway when Norway passed this earlier on in around 2008. In 2013, that they recognized the number of publicly traded companies fell from 60% to 55% from 2008 to 2013. So essentially, they did see that there may have been a correlation between enacting this law and how many public trade companies they were. So essentially, there were some companies who, instead of trying to diversify their boards, just turned private to avoid the law entirely. And I know another kind of concern and controversy is a lot of women have this fear of being qualified as a quota woman, Mm -hmm. almost essentially that like the only reason they got the job was because they had the company had to reach some quotas. But we can talk about that. But I think there are problems with thinking in that mindset. And we do need quotas to kind of get people into certain positions. And then the last one also is the concern that even though having women within boards of a company is really strong, and clearly the quotas for boards has worked, that that might not actually trickle down into the C-suite and into leadership positions. There's actually some statistics from the institutional shareholder services that found within the financial and insurance services, so kind of similar to what we look at within the WE Index, this study specifically within Europe found that while there were 37% women on boards, there were only 21% women at the executive level, which that would also kind of reflect more similar to the numbers that we have for the WE Index, where we find roughly, I think it's like 17 or 18% women within these positions in the private sector. So while it's great that we have this law and quota for 40% women on executive boards, it doesn't necessarily always translate into leadership positions. Let me chime in here. I completely agree with what you're saying. And I want to touch on what you said about women fearing of being labeled as the quota woman. Of course, maybe you are at one point the quota woman. And I also, I wouldn't like to be in that position. But at the same time, better to be the quota woman than not to exist in this position at all. And I think until we are at the point where we don't need a quota anymore to fill these positions, then, yeah, despite the fact that you might be the quota woman, those quotas are necessary to just have you there as the quota woman. This way you can have some change that hopefully might at one point trickle down to the lower levels. Yeah, and this kind of continues off of the idea of the quota woman. But This is something I heard 
recently was that it was a story of say you have one woman and one man who are applying for the same job and on paper and on their resume, they're the exact same. Um, and the company decides to pick the woman and they're like, oh, we're trying to reach our quotas. And someone kind of argued, well, well, no, you realize that even though on paper they look the same, that woman probably may have had to work a lot harder to get those exact same things on her resume than the man did. Because in some situations, they might not have the same opportunities. So even if they look the same on paper, the level of effort and determination and motivation that went into getting that same level on paper actually shows that that woman may be a stronger candidate to begin with. Absolutely. We all know that um, this measure has been questioned a lot. But uh, what I think that in just a couple of years, when we see first positive results of those measures and introduction of more female in, in the boards, people might start to change their minds uh, about the topic, both female and male. There is already one uh, positive example in the literature coming from Italy. Once they introduced gender quotas in state-owned enterprises, uh, they have measured in the subsequent years that customers are much more satisfied with services those enterprises are providing, which I think is really wonderful because it both lowers this uh, bad feelings to women who were elected to just fill in those spots as quota women. So they actually have improved and contributed to those enterprises. That is first thing. And on the other hand, people who were not in favor of this policy could potentially see that, okay, it could be beneficial. Let's see what it brings. That was the first thing I wanted to say. And the second one is that I am of the opinion that if we want to reach parity in leadership positions. We want to have parity from the very beginning of the recruitment. So we need to have balance on every single level. And I think that through new generations of recruitment, we should try to somehow balance between female and male candidates. Of course, taking into consideration their quality. And I I never questioned that. Uh, And I think that in those cases as well, Having mentors within those companies can just help out boost confidence to women to apply for demanding jobs or also change views of men to see that their female bosses are awesome as well. And sometimes their role models don't necessarily have to be male bosses, but female bosses. Why not? Exactly. That's my opinion. Yelena, I think you make a phenomenal point that it has to come from the bottom up and not necessarily top down. And I think some of these statistics about how quotas at the executive level don't necessarily trickle down into the C-suite level provided extra evidence for that. But I think I'm in agreement with you that we need to kind of push from the bottom. Role models throughout the top, whether men or women, are going to help encourage that pipeline. I think I agree with both of you, but I also think we need both. So while we need the push from the bottom up, it helps a lot to have these quotas in place to install women in leadership positions that then women at the lower levels can aspire to. And then they say, okay, there's already a woman in this position. Maybe I, maybe I can get there too. Oh, let's, let's see if I can get in contact with her and she can give me tips. Or maybe these women, these women in leadership positions then have a bigger awareness to push for women on lower levels to go, to go on. I think that's a great point. I I think I am in agreement with you on that one. You have to go both ways. 
Wonderful. Let's slowly close up this episode of our podcast. I enjoyed this discussion so much. Thanks to both of you, Ella and Sandra. This was really so inspiring and it brought up so many new questions to my mind. Yeah, same. For me, it was such a joy to talk to you girls. It was amazing. Thank you so much. <laughs> I'm, I'm so glad you enjoyed as well. And I hope our audience at home enjoyed this episode. Do let us know what, what you think about our conversation or whether you have some other policies in mind that could actually improve gender parity in our societies. And also, as I mentioned before, if you want to check out our We Index, also the recording of our index presentation event, you can find the links in the description of our podcast today. Thank you so much for listening today. And... Let's keep in touch for another interesting episode coming up. Bye-bye! The views expressed in WE podcasts are those of the interviewers and the guests and do not necessarily reflect the opinion of the organization, its partners, other members, or any other affiliated people and organizations. We'd also like to thank Maddie Stevenson for writing and recording our original theme song. For anyone who would like to learn more about the Women in Economics Initiative, please find us online as well as on most social media channels.